Welcome, listeners, to the Kyber Pass podcast. I'm your host, Paul Metzger. Uh, We bring you each week an improviser that has performed at the Kyber Pass Cafe Thursday evening music series. For this episode, I'm very pleased to have had the chance to sit down with Matt Rhyme, Hindustani vocalist. Uh, he had a beautiful concert and was kind enough to share some of himself in words with us. As always, the podcast is brought to you by the Kyber Pass Cafe. Authentic cuisine from Afghanistan, located in St. Paul, Minnesota. I have for you a short excerpt of Matt's singing uh, for his accompaniment crew. Please check online because my pronunciation is not up to the task for tabla player, harmonium, tempura. Uh, And I apologize for my lacking. So we'll have that short clip and then move into the interview with Matt Rahayam. Yeah, it gets so 
That's, you know, you're a good good listener. If you can mm. hear that, and it's so much, it's such a pleasure to sing for good listeners. Like, mm. I, every time I sing at Hyperpass, the room is full of people who are tuned in and attuned and following. You know, they're there with you, and that makes such a difference. That's, that's the kind of music I want to make. It feels good in the room, mm. and... Uh, We've run into some musicians that aren't ready for that. Uh huh. They're used to maybe working in a room where mm-hmm. people aren't locked in so hard. I but see. it really yeah. is a listening room mm-hmm. here, and uh, I think it's beautiful things can happen. Yeah. Like tonight. And so I'd like to kind of roll back in time a little bit with you. Yeah. To the young Matt. Hmm. Yeah. Where are you at, man? What are you doing? You're a kid? Where, where are you growing up? You're not doing music yet? You're a little mm. guy. What's that? I, when I was a little guy, I was doing music. I was banging around on the piano, uh, staring at the piano keys a lot. Okay, uh, so like what age are you saying? You're like five. Okay, so you're just a little, yeah. little cat, man. You're looking yeah. at a piano. Yeah, and okay. yeah, and kind of messing around and couldn't really do much. And mm-hmm. my mom started me on lessons. And I played piano for maybe 10 years. And then I got excited about jazz. Okay. And Or, or do you want to stay in the in, with really young Matt for a second? Is that... Oh, I do love that part. Yeah. I really do like the the, you know, the... You know, you see it like in a, uh, they do it in that slow motion of a seed <laughs> that germinates, you know, that little yeah. thing, and then all of a sudden it goes, uh, finds its way through the soil, and then I like that little moment yeah. for, for the young people. Uh, yeah. I think people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because a lot of people might be in a position where they're not doing something. Mm-hmm. But the difference between not doing something and doing something can be really small. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by that. And so yeah. where you fit in that, well, uh, you I'd just, like to hear. You just kind of sparked a memory for me okay. uh, I haven't thought about it for a long time. I was sitting at the piano and banging on adjacent keys, you know, like keys right next to each other. So it sounds a little clangy. 
mm-hmm. and uh, sounds a little like banging on metal. And I remember thinking, huh, if, can I make any sound there is on the piano? And and I was trying, because there's so many keys, it seems like some combination ought to unlock every sound in the world. And I remember fussing with it and struggling with it, and then realizing that there are sounds that you can make with your voice that you can never make on a piano. You know, you can slide around, you can make these vowels, and no matter how I tried, I couldn't make like an ooh sound on the piano. So I, I think that was a moment I got kind of excited about the possibilities of singing. That's amazing, and yeah. singing more. Yeah. yeah, so you heard the sound and it reminded mm-hmm. you of like maybe the kitchen. <laughs> You know, where you maybe hear a couple pans or Mm -hmm. that type of thing. Yeah, You really were like, oh, where's all the other shit? Sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, I, you know, I started playing in a band, uh, and I was playing in school. There was a jazz program at my school, and I had a very supportive teacher. You had an instrument, which was piano. I was playing piano, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, I loved... You know, I was really into John Coltrane. It kind of blew. I listened to a whole lot. And the Bill Evans on there is so good. Yeah, right. And he's heartbreaking on that recording. Yeah, like delicate, tasteful, you know. And and somehow, like, the possibility of of just playing and kind of staying in one zone for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. that was really appealing to me. That was something I wasn't hearing on the radio that much. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. Eric in the Evening was on WBUR, I remember. It's a jazz show. Okay. Uh, guy with a beautiful voice. You know, so sometimes you'd hear it on the radio, but mm-hmm. for the most part, that was like a world that I had to explore with records. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and then my neighbor, it turns out, played sitar. And he came over and he asked me to record him. And so I got to sit there with headphones and listen to him playing sitar for like 45 minutes. Uh, just straight, just picking up, playing straight through, alap, you know, velumbit, drut, and so he he had tabla with him, or he, he was, was just going straight. Great question. As I recall, it was just him. He was wow. trying to make like a demo tape. I think he wanted to find other musicians to play with, but sure. you know, it was like nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety five, mm-hmm. or something. And uh, so anyway, the point is, I was so engrossed in what he was playing, and I was so moved by his focus and his attention and his willingness to sink into music for 45 minutes at a stretch, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I knew that I had to look into this. So he gave me some recordings. And, yeah, the linkage between like Kind of Blue mm-hmm. and some of Coltrane's work, especially, you know, I remember, you know, reading the lighter notes on Kind of Blue mm-hmm. and the approach that was so uh, open yeah. Yet, go through these modes in this order for any amount of time on which one. Yeah. You know, so I mean, there was exquisite freedom in the yeah. compositions about how to proceed. Mm-hmm. And yet, very plain and structured, you know, and yeah. Uh, it's uh, interesting that then you moved toward. Yeah, Hindustani music I think from prob- that because I think there's relations there 
I think in in a lot of ways, like it prepared my ears or, or mm-hmm. it prepared my temporal sense sure. for what it would mean to sit in a space for a long time in, in a in a modal space. It's it's hard to go back to kind of blue after being in rug, right? Or it's hard to go back to like modal uh, sort of modal uh, exploration at, after you get spoiled by rug. You know, tell me about that. Well. Um, you know, the, the first thing you learn when you're learning ROG is that it's not a scale. All right, there, there's like these the, these ways of hearing, there's the, these these ways of moving that are kind of characteristic. And you, you get in the habit of moving in these ways and you, you kind of develop a taste for these kinds of melodic movement where if you just play it as a scale, it kind of like falls apart, right? It's, it's sort of like turning, uh, you know, you see your grandmother, you love your grandmother so much, and then suddenly finding instead of your grandmother, just a pile of atoms and molecules there, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, so like rog is this kind of emergent thing that comes out of, um, you know, ways of, ways of moving, ways of exploring, ways of feeling, ways of listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the moment that when you're playing where you just kind of get in a scalar mode, it, it kind of falls apart. So, so in that way, going back to kind of blue and like expecting it to be a rug, that can be a little disappointing. But oh, yeah, it's, it's, of course, it's its own thing. It's like a, he, yeah, he, yeah. he wasn't trying to play raga music, of course, and there's right. all kinds of other stuff going on there Yeah, too. a huge amount. I mean, it's moving through harmonic yeah. stages that, that don't seem to be part of uh, yes. Indian classical music. Definitely. And uh, so you're, you're first hearing that at what age, then, the sitar? Mm, 16, I think. And, you know, I, I'd heard sitar as like a sound effect before then, yeah, but yeah. He, but this was the revelation that... Yeah, you're hearing this it. This is music. Yeah. yeah. And plus, headphones live. Yeah. yeah. The cat's right there. And I mean, yeah. that, that's heavy, even... Mm-hmm. For me, the, I read that so much more than any other way of receiving music mm. you've got the cat right there yes the right. instrument is there and just there's nothing like it yeah for me there's nothing yeah so then you you heard that and then what are your steps then what do you then I uh, started listening um, you know he, he gave me some like Ravi Shankar recordings and Vlaid Khan Saab and mm-hmm. um you know, I, I still didn't really know how to listen, right. uh, but I, I was really moved, and, and I knew this was something I wanted to do. So when I went to college, it happened that they had an Indian music program there. Kind That's of like unusual. Music and Hindustani music. Yeah, it, it was unusual. What school was this? Wesleyan. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it still is an unusual place. It's yeah. Beautiful yeah. place. Yeah. Uh, and there, for whatever reason, they just sort of took it for granted it's a perfectly normal thing like oh are you, you mean the orchestra are you going to play Hindustani music are you going to play in the Javanese gamelan or what are you going to do mm-hmm. it's a, you know it was a world music program I feel that in yeah. that sense um, so f- I was just kind of spoiled there where um, it just seemed like a perfectly natural thing to do to practice Hindustani music oh, wh- where's Matt tonight oh he's at home practicing he's, he's singing raga music tonight and so That's... how did you find yourself to because your first attraction is instrumental mm-hmm. yes and then what happens that you think you want to go deeper into what the yeah what is thought of as like the root 
of that form is the vocal and yeah I, you know I was um, I mean I've always been really fascinated by singing and I never was a particularly gifted or talented singer I had to work at it mm -hmm. and there was something at working working at singing in tune working at singing these long notes yeah you know sustaining it with no vibrato against the tanpura mm -hmm. that was really appealing to me um, but another part of it is I heard Bimsen Joshi you know this yeah. great Hindustani vocalist in a lot of ways now I realize like kind of a, a maverick or you know kind of an innovator in some ways mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways and his voice inspired me a lot too his sort of exuberance his freedom his uh, precision mm -hmm. you know you, you just hear him uh, you hear him loving his own music he's so evocative oh god yeah. and so that was your vocal guy in a he way? was well he, he sort of made me think that mm -hmm. or, or or you know got me excited got me passionate about what mm -hmm. might be possible for singing mm -hmm. raga music um not that i ever thought i would be as good as bimson joshi and at that time i was still kind of dabbling around in it i was into composition mm -hmm. you know i was into literature i was into sure. science i was just kind of exploring you're a young young cat that's yeah interested right yeah, so this was an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after college, I went to India on a, uh, on a grant and got to study there. And that's where I met my first serious guru, uh, Vikas Kashalkar. Okay. Um, and he, that was in Pune. And um, I met him. He worked me really hard. He had me come into his house every day for a year. Incredibly generous, incredibly mm. kind, incredibly patient man and this was part of the inspiration how do you find this it was just through connections friends of friends of friends you know i first was connected to venus asrabude who's one of the greatest i think one of the greatest singers of the 20th century mm. and she was always touring at that time and so she recommended like if you want to if you want everyday talim if you want everyday um instruction go to vikasji and uh so he just like guided me through so patiently the, wow. the beginning steps guided me through I could hardly sing in tune when I came to him mm -hmm. and he just helped mm -hmm. me and his students helped me too you know other students like my own age or a little older kind of mm -hmm. took me under their wing mm -hmm. they practiced with me I just like I owe so much to that group of people that for, for no reason at all other than mm -hmm. the kindness of their hearts nurtured me mm -hmm. when I couldn't do anything when I hear you sing I think of there's such a strong I don't know how to mm. describe it other than with my lingo but mm. like some there's there's this yogic quality especially mm. in the your lower register mm. to sustain like a column of sound mm. that is so sure like mm. that can come from like it seems like so much body mm. relaxation. Is that something mm. that's happening with you, or that's am I just... yeah? You get up early, yeah. and you uh, I'm out. Or or you get up late, and first thing you do this. <laughs> okay. You uh, sit down and you sing at the very bottom of your range, and you just mm. move around, uh, singing low, very very long low notes at the bottom of your range, and you can sing lower in the morning than later mm -hmm. in the day. That's how you build that. That resonance and I'm still building it I've heard it blossom in mm. you oh, over the you. time that I've 
been familiar with your uh, singing, mm. and it, it's so compelling to hear that but, particular range because in order I feel to produce that mm. you really need for me I feel like you just need to be sitting right inside of that mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's uh, it, it takes that, that morning practice and I think probably if you've heard it develop over the time mm -hmm. you've known me it's probably because of my current guru uh, LK Panditji Lakshman Krishna Shankar Panditji who uh, is I, I started going to in 2012 in Delhi. Mm -hmm. So I moved from studying in Pune to studying in Delhi. And he insisted on this daily low practice. It's called courage. Yeah. And uh, so he, you know, the, the first time I sang for him, he kind of laughed in my face because my, yeah. my voice was, you know, I was kind of like singing a bunch of notes and knew a bunch of repertoire, but my voice wasn't really developed at that time. Mm -hmm. he, said, uh, he said, your voice is like a 40-watt bulb and we're going to make it like a 120-watt bulb. Oh, bless him. Bless <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. So he he really led me through those steps, and he still is. Like, it's still it's still not mm. where we want it to be. But he, he's been, you know, more more than a teacher. He, you know, he's a music guru. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, he's, he's really um, totally changed my mm -hmm. voice and changed my life. Jesus. So he's he hears your instrument. Mm. And is less interested in what you can do with it at first, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. And wants to work on the instrument itself. Yes. Uh, yeah, I love that because uh, yeah. the production of a tone. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing really quite like that. I mean, that's what we're all chasing down. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. And he... You know, I get really excited about learning new material. I find, you know, every new, learning a new raga, it's like falling in love. Yeah. You know, it's like you're discovering something new about this thing every day. Mm. And he's always telling me, like, slow down. Don't go crazy about new rags. Don't go crazy about singing fast. Yeah. Just sing one thing right. You know, then, then, mm. then we'll get started. Oh, that sounds really, really good. It's yeah. I'm really blessed to be yeah, learning. Yeah, it time. sounds like it. Yeah. So that's where you're at right now. Mm -hmm. You study with him. Yeah. And something I'm interested in that we talk about on the podcast is uh, improvisation. Mm -hmm. What it means for you to step outside of the composition mm. and bring some of who you are inside of that. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit and how that works within this? Yeah, form? it's it's very difficult to talk about, so forgive me if I... Oh, it's everyone has a hard time with it, <laughs> Yeah, but I'm so fascinated by it that I think it's worth it to yeah. stumble through. Sure. Well, there's, um, there's one thing that, that musicians say about improvisation that that really rings true for me um and that's this distinction between swimming and weightlifting okay and uh and people will, will phrase it in all kinds of different ways you know some people will say like oh don't wrestle with the music or you know don't try to throw it around but the the picture is in in this kind of like 
common piece of advice is that um, if you're like sort of grabbing and trying to make stuff happen with the melody, trying to like mold it to your will, mm -hmm. it's probably not going to go anywhere. It's just going to kind of like, you know, go wherever your hands are and, and not, not really get anywhere. But if you let yourself get caught up in it, if you let yourself, if you feel the raga is bigger than you and it's just going to carry you along and you can mm -hmm. trust it, then that's when interesting stuff starts happening and paradoxically the way to get there the way to get to the surrender mm. is uh requires a lot of mechanical repetition mm -hmm. you you learn a phrase and you sing it literally hundreds of times until you're sick of it you're you're bored of it way mm -hmm. past the point where you can sing it okay mm -hmm. and and to the point where it's sort of singing itself mm -hmm. and so the you're just sitting in your basement practicing these phrases over and over and over and over and over again and then mm -hmm. one minute it's kind of like in the karate kid there's kind of a picture of this right where it's like wax on wax off oh yeah and then suddenly he can block spontaneously yeah yeah okay. something like that mm -hmm. happens mm -hmm. um where you can then just kind of surrender and let your voice take itself and the, if everything's happening right the rog is kind of there around you guiding you and and you can let it go now for me that I mean, I'm still kind of a beginner in, in the big scheme of things. Um, but when you see master musicians at work, the very best singers, I feel like you, you can see that. You can mm -hmm. see how they're sort of being sung by something. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they'll have these brilliant moments of insight. They'll be exploring something willfully, but also the sense that they're, you know, that, that rog is happening. Rog is rogging uh, rather than that they're like, trying to exert their will on it. It's interesting because uh, you can... I, I've heard what you're talking about in that uh, it can seem as though you, the listener is experiencing what's happening mm. uh, much in the same way that the musician is. Mm. Like... And this crosses genres and uh, mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff, but when somebody... Sure. When the musician stumbles into something let's say just mm -hmm. by putting themselves in however it it happens but there there's this little mo this little glimpse of freedom mm. and they know it and you know it hmm. and it's it can be really brief you know uh, uh so transient yeah that that moment yes but if you've tasted it mm-hmm you just wait for it. I've, I found, mm -hmm. if you you know, in listening or in playing, if you've. Mm -hmm. Do you relate to what that? I'm absolutely, saying, that, yeah, absolutely, and it doesn't happen all the time, too. No. Like sometimes you have to struggle and it never comes. Um, you know, there's, there's, I, I've seen Hindustani musicians just walk off stage because it wasn't happening for whatever reason or you yeah. know take a break and come back later and a, a lot of the folklore of teachers and students you know the devoted student who's willing to endure anything for music and the kind of finicky teacher you know who is uh you know always um you know has to be coaxed into giving up their music or giving yeah. up their secrets the student is always doing things to sort of make the mood Right, you know, uh, to, making pond for the teacher, or going out mm -hmm. and getting the teacher's favorite foods, or, or whatever it is. That, like, a lot of the folklore has to do with getting 
getting the teacher in the zone or like making yeah. making the right situation and then once the teacher has been sort of coaxed into it that's that's when it happens and listeners do that too yeah. so when you're when you're sitting in front of listeners um, it's like they, they coax a good performance out of you but with you. their attention with yeah. their their love and their their you know the signs that they're following what's going on there's there's little things that people murmur in concerts kiabate for example mm -hmm. is one va va you know things like that mm -hmm. sort of c conventional statements of astonishment or uh, mm -hmm. or joy but they it makes a real tangible difference in what's happening if they're there with you then you want you you want to go further there are parts of you know speaking of myself mm -hmm. there are parts of that when i was younger that i didn't want to believe hmm. I wanted music to be like if a tree falls in the woods but no one hears it. Yes. I wanted it like that. Like yeah. it doesn't matter mm -hmm. that it's observed. Yeah. You know, I had that reverence. Yeah. But when I loosened on that mm -hmm. and started to feel what you're talking about just yeah. a little bit, I was like, oh, I'm such a fool. <laughs> Such a fool to. You're in good company. To do that, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there, yeah. It's, it's not an un, uncommon thing, you mm. know. Um, so, but for me and for Hindustani music, mm. um, you know, I, however cosmic it may be, uh, in the moment of performance, in the moment of of singing, when you're with people, you it has to be with people. It has to be relational. Yeah, that was a big step for my head. Yeah, but I. It completely resonates as truth with me now. Mm. Uh, a question I, I want to kind of get to, I don't know mm. how you're doing for time, uh, but so we'll wrap it up in a little bit. Mm. This is just general. So which which musician, what, who am I listening to? Yeah, what do you yeah. listen to? And, uh, you know, it could be within mm. what your discipline is or outside of it. Uh, yeah. That's interesting to me. Well, let's see. I'll uh, you know I'll say within Hindustani music, my tastes are really at the moment kind of conservative and boring. Uh, the, the the people I I listen to are tend to be real conservative traditionalists. So my own guru, who um, basically only sings repertoire from the 18th and 19th century, you know, is not interested really in any 20th century mm. compositions, um, which is unusual. But I I love his what's called gayaki, his way of singing, his kind of mm. uh, vocal vocal approach. I find it completely enchanting. Uh, so I'm really into him. Sharafat Ali Khan Saab is um, a, another another singer that I really admire a lot. Um, he's an Agragarana singer, so it's a different mode of vocal production, but I just, I'm completely in love with his voice. Mm -hmm. uh, Venus Ahasarabude, uh, the, the singer I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. um, another one of my favorite singers. Um, so so all, of, all of these people I'm mentioning are fairly traditional, mm -hmm. uh, even for Hindustani music. They're, they're okay. Kinda, um, but I will mention one other really amazing uh, piece of music I heard recently that wasn't Hindustani music. Okay. I heard George Barth, uh, who's a marvelous pianist who teaches at Stanford University, playing Charles Ives' first piano concerto, uh, which is a glorious mess, a glorious kind of um, 
of mashing together of these hymns and folk songs, uh, all in different keys, overlapping each other. And um, it, it's a remarkable piece of music, but the way he played it was so soulful, so moving. Wow. Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult to put into words, but if you ever get a chance to hear George Barth play piano, mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's an extraordinary pianist. Wow. Well, thank you for that, because it's, I like to know what's, you know, the input and the output. Yeah. And I mean, I know there's a, so much more than just music that goes on mm. inside of that, but thanks for taking the time on the podcast and thanks for beautiful concert. It's such a pleasure to talk to you, Paul. All right. Yeah. Thank you. And there you have it. Matt Raheim. Covering his origin story in a way. Uh, his first glimpses at sound and Hindustani classical music a deepening appreciation and a journey leads to India very insightful in terms of improvisation very much put me in mind of certain ideas of Taoism and working with the current flowing with the current of time as opposed to struggling toward a goal. The Kyber Pass podcast, as always, brought to you by the Kyber Pass. No surprise. There. They host a Thursday evening music performance. Adventures in Improvisation. We interview one musician at each concert and present that here for you. I'm your host, Paul Metzger, and until next time, Goodbye.